Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail and buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! Today's cocktail is what we are calling a peppermint or candy cane martini. It is 1.5 ounces of, we did the peppermint twist um, Smirnoff vodka. I'm sure you could probably do it with like peppermint schnapps or something similar to that. Um, We also found that if you do just an ounce rather than 1.5, it's less on the peppermint taste if you are not a big peppermint fan which i'm not but honestly i prefer the more peppermint peppermint in the glass me i'm all the peppermint you can take i'm a ho 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 for peppermint (laughs) (laughs) she's not lying (laughs) all right so we did 1.5 of the peppermint uh vodka and then we did two ounces of our baileys we poured it over ice shook it up real quick, and then strained it and did it in a martini glass that we rimmed with chocolate sauce. And we bought a crushed up bit of um, candy cane, and then we ended up crushing up even more to be a smaller bit so that it would stick more to the chocolate sauce. I'm not sure if you did a thicker chocolate sauce if the bigger pieces would stick. That's something we have to find out ourselves. And then we just enjoyed, and it is a perfect holiday drink. And we did do a lot of testing on that, so believe us. If you'd like to see this in person, please check out our TikTok or Instagram feed. Today, I am bringing you a fantastic story that has been boggling my mind all week, thanks to Discovery+. Plus. They released a new documentary called Fruitcake Fraud, and... Last week, I want to say it was maybe Morbid Podcast. They did an episode on this, and it it tickled my mind, so to speak. And then I saw this documentary. I went to go watch 90 Day Fiance because I love <laughs> trash TV. She literally contacted me through text, being like, Fruitcake Fraud, you need to go watch this if you haven't. This is what... I had a different case in mind for this week, but immediately swapped it to this once I saw this documentary. The documentary is two hours long. It is phenomenal. If you're interested after this podcast episode, feel free to go watch it because they did a great job with it. I have not watched it just because I knew she was going to do a case on it, so I didn't want to do any spoilers for myself. Oh, we're still going to watch it after this because I'm still intrigued after doing (laughs) all of my research. That's how good this was. So let's get started. First of all, This takes place at Collins Street Bakery, which is located in Corsicana, Texas, which is about 50 miles south of Dallas. 
Uh, so probably it's like halfway between Dallas, a little bit more than halfway between Dallas and Austin. So they do have locations also in um, a few other locations that you can go to, but they're all in Texas, unfortunately. But what's interesting about this place is this bakery is one of the oldest, if not the oldest bakery in Texas, maybe even America. It opened in 1896. They just celebrated their 125th birthday this year in 2021. How miraculous is oh, that? Jesus. <laughs> I have a dream of opening a bakery. And if that bakery was still open in 125 years, I would probably come back and haunt all of you bitches. I was going to say, one, we wouldn't be alive. But two. I would come back and haunt all of you bitches. I knew where I had to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but like. Seriously, though, 125 years for a bakery, and granted, you know, my family's cinnamon rolls be living on. <laughs> bakeries are one of an like an easier business to maintain and keep going, but like that's still hella impressive, especially considering what I'm about to tell you. So they sell all sorts of baked goods, Texas pecan pies, cheesecakes, cakes, pies, cookies, anything that you can dream of, go in and they have like counters filled with pastries i looked at pictures on their website and like don't do that if you're hungry but also do that because that shit looked good what they're most known for though as you may know from the documentary title that i already mentioned they're most known for fruitcakes and i've never personally had a fruitcake i have had fruitcake whenever i was very younger did not like it it very much put me off Fruitcake is definitely one of those things that you're told is disgusting. And that was from, um, I want to say President Jimmy Carter, maybe, or some, some, know. somebody, somebody around that era, they went on a talk show and completely dissed fruitcake and Collin Street Bakery took it personally because they are worldwide renowned with their fruitcakes. They, um, um, to skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> They also, I, I wrote this down before I get into the, those details, but they even have a little fruitcake Christmas ornament that you can buy. Oh, Exactly. That's why I had to circle back to this before I forgot <laughs> it. I am a Christmas elf and <laughs> it was such a cute ornament. I almost bought it. It's like $15, but they have an ornament that you can buy. And like I was saying, I'm not a fan of fruitcake, but after watching this whole documentary, I honestly want to buy one of their $50 freaking fruitcakes just to see what it's like, because that's how much it's built up. So if you go to the Collins Street Bakery, I'm going to read a little bit of their about me to y'all just because they worded it better than I ever could. So here we go. Um... The fruitcake or pecan cake you ordered today is still baked true to the old world recipe brought to Corsicana, Texas from Weis Weisbadan, Germany. Weisbadan? Wiesbadan? I don't know. I don't speak German. <laughs> In 1896 by master baker Gus Weedman, he and his partner, partner Tom McIlwee built a lively business in the turn of the century, Corsicana, which included an elegant hotel on the top floor of the bakery. Okay. Can we also pause there because it would also be a dream of mine to stay at the top floor of a bakery in an elegant hotel. Right. I'm like, <laughs> wait, so this is a multi-story like bakery. And then it's an elegant hotel on top. Oh, like, what? are we talking like, you know, Hilton or better than that? I don't know. 
I don't know. I would love to find out though. So they had this hotel on the top floor of the bakery. Many famous guests enjoyed their fine hospitality, including Enrico Caruso, Will Rogers, John J. McGraw, Corbett, and John Ringling. Um, in the documentary, I want to say that they even mentioned people like Madonna and Marilyn Monroe, like big time celebrity shop here. So, in fact, the bakery was thrust into the mail order business when Mr. Ringling's circus troupe, upon tasting the mouth-watering deluxe fruitcake pecan cake, asked to have these Christmas cakes sent to family and friends throughout Europe. And so began an international Christmas gift tradition. So that, the Ringling Circus, is why they are credited to distributing to so many different countries. And they were doing this at the beginning of the 1900s. Like, we're not talking about Uber Eats or DoorDash or anything like that. Like, they are the originals in food shipping, and they ship their famous fruitcakes. So, once again, I feel like I need to try these fruitcakes. It would be the circus to be like, let's let's just ship this everywhere. And, I mean, to be honest, from what I understand, fruitcake is one of those few baked goods that It's lasts. one that travels well, is exactly. what, I've, what I've understood. So... To continue from their website, they say, We are mail order specialists, and whether our order is for one cake or 1,000, we make sure it is sent exactly as requested. Many years of experience, coupled with our decorative holiday tin and protective shipping carton, ensure your gift will arrive in perfect condition anywhere in the world, fresh delivery guaranteed. So, that is hella impressive. 125 years... Majority of those years, they have been shipping baked goods. Like I said, I am a baker. I dream of having a bakery. And I cannot fathom shaping, uh, shaping, sending my, like, cupcakes or cookies or anything halfway across the world and them still tasting as good as they did whenever I baked them. Yeah. Can't understand that. So, to dive into our crime, we have a gentleman named... Sandy Jenkins. Sandy Jenkins was the controller of the company for over a decade. He was the only person in his part of the company, which explains a lot. But um, Sandy Jenkins' scheme was discovered by accident by a fairly new accounting clerk, Symmetric Williams. She was brought on as the company was expanding across the country. And they even expanded... I want to say to, like, Puerto Rico or Cuba, they started their own pineapple farm, which, like, was very unheard of at the time. This was in the 1980s, pineapple 1990s. Farm. Yeah. They just, they were really trying to expand, grow their horizons. It was... I'm just imagining pineapple farm and <laughs> my roommate Logan being so, like, in love with us. Okay, but Logan would be <laughs> literally the happiest mermaid living in the Caribbean. So that makes that absolute too. sense. Absolute sense. So, um, anyways, so Symmetric Williams was, was brought on as the country was expanding, as the company was expanding, and she happened to notice a check written to Capital One. She knew that the bakery didn't have any dealings with Capital One. And whenever she asked her direct boss, her direct manager, Sandy Jenkins, about it, he replied that he would quote unquote fix it and walked off. So she immediately became Sketchy suspicious. AF. <laughs> she immediately became suspicious over this $20,000 check 
and she did a little bit more digging. And on the documentary, like, they take you through her digging and digging through years, through up to a decade of Sandy's financial dealings with the company. And she found over $400,000 worth of checks written to vendors <laughs> that had not been used by the bakery in a relatively short period of time. So that's not the whole kitten caboodle. We're going to get to his whole thing. $400,000 is not the grand total. Oh not, not by a, a, any means. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Um, so she went above his head, took it to their superiors, brought her evidence after she knew what she had. Also, I do feel like it is fair to say that not only was she somebody new coming onto the job, and she was having to go to her managers to report this theft. But her manager's managers, like, you have to imagine how small you feel in that role. You're yeah. coming on. You you want to make everybody happy. Blah, blah, blah. It's really hard to do the right thing. It's also really hard whenever she was one of the few black people working in this company. And she was reporting on a white male. Yeah. And so she, in the documentary, talks about how uncomfortable she felt going through all of this but she also knew that you know it was right to point out that all of this was going on so what year was this that she was kind of figuring this all out does it say it's like uh he was arrested in the early 2000s and okay, he was so this is like well before like today's age oh i mean at least like 10 15 years ago yes we'll get into the actual dates in a little bit i don't have them at the top of my notes but we do get yeah. into dates in a little bit i'm just trying to figure out how like but he started before working, her time this was yeah he started working at the company in the early 90s and he got away with this scheme for like 14 years before she started working there so like i want to off the top of my head, 2005, 2006, he got caught. He was actually, like, charged and everything in the 2010s. Um, but, yeah, like, we're not talking in the past five years. This was a little bit ahead of today's times with all of our social movements and whatnot. But it is very fitting for where we are in our times, too. Yes. So that is why I felt like I wanted to address that. So the day after she went to their upper-ups, Sandy Jenkins was fired. And it was come to find out that over the course of at least eight years, Jenkins had forged 888 checks on the bakery's accounts before his scheme was discovered in the summer of 2013. So there we go. So like recent, but not recent-ish. I was off by 10 years. I'm sorry. Um, I have a horrible memory. I, it's fun. I do great, but I don't do great at the same time. So We've both just, been researching multiple <laughs> cases too, yes. so things are bound to get mixed up. So, discovered in the summer of 2013, uh, I was really confused on how this was kind of executed. So, I went to a um, kind of CPA for dummies website to learn exact, like, to break this down into normal terms. So, this is what this guy said that made sense to me. Jenkins would print a check to his personal credit card company, aka Capital One, but he would void the check in the accounting system for the bakery. He still had the printed check to Capital One that he would send in and they would cash. But in his accounting system, it showed as voided. And then he would create a fake check to a legitimate vendor. And you've got to think they're making fruit cakes and all this sort of stuff. So they're buying flour and pecans and all of these, other, like all these things to bake all of these cakes and cookies and pies. So he would write 
a check to one of those vendors for the pecans or the flour or the butter or whatever, but the second check to the actual vendor that worked with the company would never be mailed. So Jenkins would send off the first check that he voided and that would cash out and he would never send the second check to the legitimate person and that one would never cash out. So in the system, the money on the ledger would balance out minus 20,000 plus 20,000 minus 20,000 and everything was okay. But in reality, there was never that plus in the middle. It was just that first person getting the money. So he was using the bakery's money to pay for all of his credit cards and all of his personal bills. <laughs> As the chief controller, he had no one looking over his shoulder. That the, is an upside to running the that side by yourself. Ex yes, and that's what bit him in the ass, too. So, um, in an affidavit that was later served... It was said that the bakery's books had not been audited since Jenkins was first hired in February 1998. So February 1998 to September or the summer of 2013. Mm -hmm. That's how long he did not have anybody watching his back, checking behind him to see if anything was wrong. And you might be asking yourself, like, shouldn't somebody in the company be looking? You yeah. would think. You would think. You would think uh, the CEO definitely should have been reviewing checks, especially considering that it was his money. But also at the end of the day, this was kind of a boys club. This was a men's club. So, you know, if you watch the documentary, you can honestly see all of the regret and sorrow, 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 sorrow. That's the right <laughs> word. You can see the regret and sorrow in Bob. That's the owner right now. He really feels horrible. Like, he blames himself. He wanted to give up the company at one point, and it is his family's company. Like, his family is the one that opened it up in the 1800s. And he wanted to give up all of this because he blamed himself more than he blamed Sandy. And, like, was he to blame? Partially. But mostly, this was you Sandy, you yeah. know? So... Yes, he should have been checking behind him, but Bob felt that he could trust Sandy... And even if he did check behind Sandy for the first few years that he worked there, it did take him a while to start embezzling from the company. So it wasn't like... It wasn't like from day one, he was like, oh, I'm by myself. I can do this. Exactly. It did take a couple of years and it started really small and it just kept snowballing out of control. Got a little too cocky, sir. Yeah. So... Um, where was I? The affidavit. Uh, so whenever I did fib a little bit earlier, Collins Street started expanding around the time that Sandy started working there, which is why he was really able to get away with it for so long because it went from a one store, a one brick and mortar store to opening up several stores in Texas. They were opening up the farm and all of this happened over the course of his career there. And as they kept growing, they finally decided that they needed to bring somebody in to help with the finances because they did realize that something was going wrong here. But the problem with that was any time that they would do inventory to figure out what was wrong there, all of the product was adding up correctly. All of the invoices were adding up correctly because remember, 
he was voiding the checks that he was actually cashing in the system, but they were still being cashed. But in the system, it looked like it was being cashed by the inventory, but it wasn't. So whenever the bosses were looking into it on paper, everything looks fine in person. Everything looks fine, but it's the secret back work that, you know, only an accountant would be able to find out. But Sandy yeah. is the only person in that part of the company. So, um, a little bit about Sandy. He was married to a woman named Kay. They were very much caught up in the keeping with keeping up with the Joneses lifestyle. Um, she at one point did have a job. She's a little housewifey. But she became a housewife very quickly. They lived in Coruscant, Texas, which I did mention earlier, but I didn't really talk about the town. And if you not to talk down on Texas because I do love Texas. I have family in Texas, but it's also kind of like it has this bad rep of being, um, it can be hoity toity and beauty pageant Queens and, you know, like high class and Southern bells and debutantes and things like that. And that's exactly what this town was. It was very much keeping up with the Joneses and you had to be in the country club to be somebody. You had to have the, you had to have the big house. You had to have nice cars and all these things. So Sandy and Kay got caught up in the town living and that's kind of what started all of this, you know, like he realized that he could take a little money to help pay off his credit card bill and then he would charge more to his credit card and he'd be like, okay, Keep well, up I can... Keep with social appearances and unlike other words. Like, he could put off this, like, rich lifestyle and not really have to be rich. Yes, yes, exactly. But the problem with that is, you know, everybody at the company knows that you're only making $50,000 a year. And... Everybody at the company also knows that the company is having problems. And so, you know, while they're... they're How are you making all this money, but they're, like, not? Yes. They're making their profits, but the profits are somehow disappearing. So nobody in the company is getting bonuses. Nobody's getting raises. Everybody's just kind of staying stagnant. Meanwhile, Sandy is... Sandy and Kay are off jet-setting to Santa Fe and to the Bahamas and to Europe and buying all of these luxury luxury items and spending all of this money. So like, where is this money coming from for somebody that makes $50,000 a year and has a stay at home wife? Yeah, That's the big question. And he even had the balls to ask one of his coworkers one time to split a trip to the, to split a trip with them to the Bahamas or something. And she was like, <laughs> I don't have the money for this. I don't make, I don't make good money. Like, I don't know. You're the one, sir, at the country club and everything. Right. So, like, to put on a face, he, uh, he would tell some people that he inherited the money from a great uncle. He told some other people that he was an auto car trader. So, he would buy cars and then sell them at a higher price than what he bought them for. Um. He also told some people that, like, he sued his father-in-law for his wife's inheritance or something, and they won it. Just all of these outrageous lies. Um, to continue their lavish lifestyle, um, just some, like, bullet points. They were really invested in jewelry. Um, 
they even shopped at this one department store. It's a high luxury department store in Texas. They really only sell, sell like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, that sort of stuff. At one point, the store, first of all, they shopped there so frequently that they were nicknamed Fruitcake and Pound Cake. <laughs> I Like, every salesperson knew them and knew the nickname for them. <laughs> I would not even... Fruitcake, maybe. Pound cake? Hell no! Well, I mean, what makes it more offensive is fruitcake with Sandy, obviously, because he worked at the fruitcake place. Don't tell me the wife was so, a little you know, overweight. I don't... I mean, she was... She was a southern woman. <laughs> this poor woman. All she did was just love her husband... And he she, happened to be a piece of shit. Are you telling me that, like, she didn't know what was going on, though? Maybe she did, but she, also... She knew. She <laughs> she had to know. Maybe. She had to know. <laughs> You're, you don't know that your husband but works at a bank. I don't want to be known as Pound Cake. I'm not saying she has to be known as Pound Cake. <laughs> but she's just... I'm not saying she's equally as guilty Aww. either, but... But the bitch is guilty. Poor pound cake. <laughs> so, at one point, fruit cake and pound cake <laughs> had bought out the whole department store. So they. What? They literally stopped they stopped shopping there because there was nothing else for them to buy in the store. They had bought everything that the store had to offer. Like that's goals, but also <laughs> you don't want to be found. <laughs> How do you buy everything? That's like walking into like a Macy's or something like yes. that and saying, Oh, I got all this. I can't shop here no more. What? But it's on a Gucci. <laughs> level that's goals for like bath and bioworks for me like give me all the candles and everything <laughs> they were also known for taking private jets a lot of the times um and one of the stories that sandy Your carbon would... footprint is out the wall then <laughs> one of the stories that sandy would tell people is that his cousin owned a morgue in austin or something like that and so he would loan the private jet to him to go on vacations the private jet that his, you know, his, uh, what's it called? If you could see my face, like, the, they own a morgue, so they have enough money for this private jet, because that's, that's a likely story. That's priorities, you know. Yeah. Um, but one time, they flew a private jet just to get lunch. And Where so- Where are you going to lunch that you need a private jet? So basically, this lunch cost them eight thousand dollars because they I took better their... get like a damn gallon and or two of margaritas. Then, um, I, I you better take my ass to Bex to Mexico to <laughs> take me to the tequila farm or something. Just give me a tap with tequila. I'll just something <laughs> for eight thousand dollars. I better be gone for like a week. <laughs> God. $8,000 for a lunch. 
Um, over the course of a 10-year period, they flew 223 times, spending approximately $3.2 million on private jets, going to primarily Santa Fe, Aspen, Napa, California, but also the Bahamas and even Europe on occasion, like I mentioned earlier. The, um, da -da 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 -da, I already talked about that. Um, yeah, so they bought all the high fashion things. They bought Louis Vuitton. They bought Gucci. Like, like I said, they bought the store out. Also, they purchased 38 vehicles over the course of the scheme, including many Lexus, Mercedes-Benz, Bentley, a Porsche. So pretty much whenever they needed an oil change, instead of getting an oil change, they bought they a new car. A new car. And a luxury if car. Only. A luxury car at that. Yeah. Let that sink in. I... I wish. I, I'm still... My car's just chugging along. Right. So, we talked about the bakery. We talked about Sandy and Kay. Now, let's bring it back to... The bakery finding out about all of this and Sandy getting fired. So they brought in Texas ADA Christy Henson and they also ended up bringing in the FBI and assistant U.S. attorney J. Nicholas Bunch. There was also deputy criminal chief assistant U.S. attorney Melissa Childs. Melissa's primary, primary job in all of this was to liquefy all of the assets to give as much of the money back to the bakery as possible. Um, they got a search warrant to seize anything of value. This included the huge jewelry safe Sandy kept downstairs. Some of the jewelry was even described as museum quality. You also find out at a future point in the documentary that Sandy had a pretty big bag of his watches and jewelry whenever he left to run away to his daughter's house in Austin then he ended up going back to Arizona, and whenever he came back to Austin, he dumped all of the bag of watches out into a lake in Austin, and a campus cop found them. He was just out on a jog, off-duty, out on a jog, enjoying his day, and he saw something shiny in the sand and was like, oh, what's that? Walks up, looks up a few feet, there's another one. They end up, like, going through the lake and found... I want to say like thirty, fifty thousand dollars worth of watches in this lake. I guess I would rather find a watch than like a body per se, but like still I'd be like, what is going on? I mean, at this point, I think that we're lucky that a off-duty cop found this stuff and was Rather able to report like it. A thief or someone. Or like just that. a regular nobody, you know? Yeah. Like I mean, to be honest... They were smart enough to be like, wait, there's another one. There's another. And once they got into the actual lake, like, there was stuff in the lake. Jewelry, watches, all that sort of stuff. They had to bring a dive team in. It was crazy. So, all of that... Um, but that was found after the search warrant was served. Just bringing it up now. But they did have a good bit of jewelry in the house still. They also had a wine and liquor collection... The wine alone was valued at over $50,000. Dreams. $50,000. They also had a sauna in their house. 
Kay's closet was full of all the designer clothes, shoes, and handbags that the, the department stores <laughs> sold out to them. <laughs> there was a grandbaby piano worth 59 grand. It's still unclear if either one of them played piano, but they had to have a baby grand. And a mattress made of horse hair that was worth $30,000. It's also unclear if it was his or her mattress because they did sleep in separate rooms. But once of again, of course. Kay wanted to stay married to him because he had the money. Right. So, once again, you can't tell me she didn't know. I'm still stuck <laughs> on the fact that there's that much money in, you said, wine? 50000 Yeah. C- could you imagine the tequila we could get? All the tequila. All oh. of it. So, whenever the FBI served the search warrant... The, the Jenkins were not home, but um, once they pulled up, people literally lined the streets to watch the FBI search the house. <laughs> Me. This would I be I gotta us. sweep my driveway. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. They didn't even bother. They pulled their lawn chairs out <laughs> and posted up <laughs> in this fancy neighborhood. TikTok one of the ladies, one of the ladies in the documentary was like, I wasn't going to miss that. I had my popper, popcorn and everything. And Me? I was, yes. <laughs> I was going to have my wine or tequila or something. And then a snack. I'll be ready. ready for the show. We're ready. Um, They also found a handwritten spiral bound notebook. There were records with numbers and they quickly like associated it with the jewelry. So it was what the jewelry was, how much it was worth whenever they bought it. And that was whenever they noticed that there was a good bit of jewelry missing, which would later be the jewelry found oh my God. in the lake. Um, so they search, they serve that search warrant. They leave, they go downtown and like a week or so later, they're all having a meeting. And that's whenever they get the phone call about the lake in Austin. And it was about $30,000 worth of jewelry and watches found there. Um, they were able to trace all of that back to make sure that it was Sandy's because if you didn't know, Rolexes and most expensive stuff has um, what uh, serial numbers. I want to say like in the, a specific sort of number attached to them. Because yeah. you register it for insurance and ownership. So you were not smart, my dude. Most of that stuff was tied back to Sandy or Kay's name specifically. Oh, God. Boom. That's <laughs> like the what teens that just stole a bunch of Apple products not too long ago. Yes, yes. Here oh. locally in Spanish Ford, Alabama. Yes, they uh, they got in from the roof of the Best Buy and the security cameras caught them. Was, and they stole Apple products, which as soon as you activate, guess what? You have a GPS code yep. literally to your where you're at. Yep. Okay. Ugh. So a little correction already. But what they found along the shores and in the sands was worth the $30,000. Whenever the dive team came in, they recovered another 38 watches, a gold bar. Oh my God. A gold bar. A gold bar. And gold coins. I mean, we're talking about $38 million worth of gold and watches in the lake. You know what, dive team? You're better people than me. I'd be like, we're going to store that for later for myself. (laughs) Right. I feel like that number was wrong, though, because 
at the end, you find out how much he ended up embezzling, and $38 million doesn't add up to it all. So that came from a source that I, I mean, I think that that was a typo from them. But um, I didn't, I wasn't able to find anything anywhere else with the number. So we're just going to roll with it. But most people are also sure that he has money hidden away because he would visit the Switzes, like Switzerland often. He would go to the Caribbean often. He had uh, vacation homes that he would rent out. Jeez. Like, you know, there, there's just really no telling. Yeah, you have all this, like, extra stuff. You've but... been jet-setting across the world for f- almost 15 years. There's no telling where you might have secret accounts stashed and whatnot. Or even just your watches. <laughs> right. Because also, come to find out, after he was arrested, many years after he was arrested, uh, the FBI team uncovered another safe... And they found, I want to say, like $50,000 worth of watches in that safe that they uncovered after everything was already shut down. And whenever they showed up to the bank, they were like, yeah, they haven't been here in like a long time. <laughs> They've been in jail. I, I mean, you know I'm saying this is like right like right when. Oh. Was, yeah, like they had they had just been put in jail, but like they hadn't been there for years. So like they would did they forget about it or <laughs> yeah, exactly or was it being saved for a rainy day? Right, it was like this is our backup money. Yeah. Um. So at this point, Sandy nor Kay was arrested yet. He still had his passport. He could literally go anywhere that he wants. And instead, him and Kay go to Austin to visit their daughter. Then they went to their vacation home in New- into New Mexico, and they stayed there for about three weeks after he was fired. So all of this happened like really quickly. Very, very quickly, of course, but we're talking, we're still in a month's time here. Uh, Our three musketeers went back to the house to execute a second search warrant, and Sandy was actually home this time, so they ended up arresting him on the spot and taking him back to Dallas for investigation. Kay divorced Sandy shortly after this, and she moved back to Austin because the gig was up in Coruscana. Like, everybody was talking about them. She had no social social circle to go to. And that was the whole point for them. They wanted to be the creme de la creme. Yeah. Um, Sandy was very cooperative from the get-go. He told them how. He told them why. He said it started out small, taking a little money from petty cash and from time to time. And it spiraled over the years. So there really is no telling how much he was able to steal. He was able to get away with it for as long as he did because he was the only person in the counting. He, he had nobody checking behind him until Symmetric came along. Um, the FBI and the government ended up having an estate, sale, an estate sale to get as much profit back to the bakery as possible. Bob even showed up, <laughs> the owner of the bakery, he showed up and he was handing out cookies to everyone in line waiting to get in. And he was like, I hear there's some good stuff in there. Please spend some money. Because, like, he knew that that was... Yeah, yeah. Um, The total loss as a result that we know confirmed for sure is $16,766,645. So almost $17 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot. I, I would be great for the rest of my life if I had that. Through the efforts of law enforcement in this case, the government recovered approximately $4 million in property and cash to be turned over to the bakery as partial restitution for the losses suffered in this case. 
<laughs> I I mean, I'd be happy with four million. I sure you'd want all of it, but four million, I mean, that's gotta be helpful. I mean, I would want it all, but yeah, like like you were saying, something's better than nothing. Uh sixteen million would be better than nothing. But also, you know, it really does suck on their part. I'm not saying that you lost but they how were much and then But yeah. they were still turning profit like they were staying steady over those years and yeah they could have been a lot better off but like they aren't so, like, he screwed him over but he still made it so that you know essentially his cash cow wasn't Wait. going under yes yes so like i very much wish that they would have gotten the fir- the full 16 million 1000 percent. but i mean they could have gotten nothing yeah which is how a lot of these things end up. Yes, exactly. Uh, where did I go? Okay, so also in the documentary, I had to write this part down because this is a us thing. Oh, God. The, they did auction off the house for somebody to move into. And one of the things that was said whenever they did the estate st- sale was like how a lot of the stuff was museum quality, but it wasn't anything like really extra spectacular like it had dollar amounts to it but it wasn't something that like you would take home to put in your home you know Mm -hmm. yeah so the lady that ended up moving into her home she was like i just don't understand why somebody would waste all their money on frivolous stuff like that that doesn't even matter if i got that much money i would put all of the money into cat shelters so they could have golden floors oh my kitties (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my boys are spoiled enough i was like that is us being like we're gonna put our money back into pets <laughs> or alcohol <laughs> sloan's got the two dogs they would they already want for like nothing but they, they would have even more. more and then i have two cats with my roommate and those boys again want for nothing but still yeah the wands walrus could have uh he would annoy me so much more. So to kind of wrap this up, let's talk about arrest and sentencing. Um, Sandy Jenkins was 66 when he pleaded guilty in May 2014 to one count of mail fraud, one count of conspiracy to commit mo- money laundering, and one count of making a false statement to a financial institution. He was sentenced to serve 120, 120 months or 10 years in federal prison. Kay Jenkins, 64 at the time, pleaded guilty in May 2015 to one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering. She was sentenced to five years probation, no jail time. Uh, So he did all the stuff, and he only gets like 10 years, and she is five. Yes. Wow. Of probation. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't go to jail. She just got probation. still, it's like. Yeah. Which it doesn't mention if he would get probation after his time either. Um. But also, Kay was further ordered to complete 100 hours of community service and to submit a formal apology in writing to the bakery. They were also both sentenced to, like, pay restitutions to the bakery. Um, but the, uh, Bob, well, no, back up. Sandy wrote a letter to Bob in 2017 apologizing for all of his actions and sincerely apologizing for everything that he was worth he told bob you know that he really respected him and he was sorry and that he could not wait to get out of prison to start paying bob back as he deserved 
And um, less than a year after he wrote that letter to Bob, Sandy committed suicide in prison. So uh, the restitutions will never be paid. Um, But, you know, uh, the bakery is doing very, very well. They're definitely turning a profit. They don't have anybody stealing from them anymore. They have a better accounting system set up. And the whole purpose that they had with the documentary was, you know, they've been really looked down upon. Like, how can somebody steal $17 million from you and you not notice? And my really, really, my only answer to that is, how successful are you that somebody can steal $17 million without you noticing? Like I said, he hurt them, but not enough to put them under. Right, right. He definitely kept it close to the line enough to where they were barely turning profit. Like, he was smart about it, but he wasn't smart enough to not do it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that is the story of the fruitcake fraud Jeez. and the pound cake wife. <laughs> I just the way that popped the house. I would put this towards animals. Same, ma'am. It'd be animals and, like, our... Mexican and margaritas. But yeah. yeah. Maybe a house for all of us to live in instead right. of renting. But like, I mean, yes, exactly. Bottom line, if this intrigued you at all, please go watch the fruitcake fraud documentary on Discovery Plus. It was phenomenal, well put together, kept my interest the whole time. <laughs> ten out of ten, do recommend. This definitely sounds in, in ugh, if I can speak, it sounds interesting. So definitely something I'll have to check out. Hi guys. Sloan and I are still figuring out how we want to end our episodes. This is very much still a learning process for us, so just bear with us. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave us a review. Like, subscribe, check us out on all of our social medias. They are tequila she wrote across the board. We also do have an email address set up. It's tequila she wrote at gmail.com. Please send us an email with your thoughts. Let us know if you have any cases you might want us to cover. And yeah, just help spread the word because this is our little baby and we are trying to get it heard by as many people as we can. We do appreciate you listening to us. And if you're liking what you're hearing, you know, let let other people enjoy too. Um, And yeah, I guess just check us out next time. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.